Almighty God, we come now to your word. And we ask that you would grant us grace and strength. That your spirit would enlighten the eyes of our hearts. So that we might understand your word. Grant me the grace that I need, Lord, as a man with feet of clay. To preach your word in a manner which is beneficial to your blood-purchased chosen people. In Jesus' name, amen. I take my glasses off for a moment. This week, I went to the vision doctor to get my semi-annual eye exam. It's supposed to be annual, but I don't go every year. It's been about 18 months. And I wanted to see if my vision had grown just a bit more dim in those 18 months. I didn't think it had, but I wanted to make sure. I was sitting in the doctor's office waiting. So I grabbed the sports page from the magazine rack. Now, I'm an extremely casual sports fan these days. There was a time when I was an absolute nut for sports. I don't really care about them anymore. Very, very casually. But I grabbed the sports page and I turned to the baseball section. It's baseball season. And I read the standings. And I squint. I read them again. I squint even harder. So I grab my glasses from my sports coat pocket and I put them on. Because I thought that what I had squinted to see wasn't what I actually saw. I thought there's no possible way that what I just read is true. I had to verify the truth by putting on my spectacles. And lo and behold, surprise, 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 the Pittsburgh Pirates are in first place. Not only are they in first place, they have the best record in baseball. Be still my beating heart. Unbelievable. It was confirmed. Absolutely unreal. Now, it's not August yet, but they're doing very well. What a wonderful thing reading glasses are. And I don't need a new prescription. That's even better. I don't have to dent my wife's pocketbook anymore. Vision is important. These spectacles help us to see what is real. Let me ask you this. When you look at yourself, not in a mirror, but when you look at your life, who you are, what you're doing, where you're going, who you want to be, who you wish you had become, what do you see? Who do you see? Do you like what you see? Or is it sometimes a little bit of a depressing reflection? We inherit a lot of eyeglasses in our lives. Our parents give us one set of spectacles. Our brothers and sisters, if we have brothers and sisters, they give us various set of spectacles. Our teachers, our coaches, give us another pair of spectacles. A husband, a wife, an ex-husband, an ex-wife, an uncle, a grandmother, 
They give us a set of spectacles. The media gives us a gigantic pair of spectacles. Society gives us a pair of spectacles. And we ourselves go out and purchase all kinds of spectacles with which to view ourselves. The vast majority of those inherited spectacles are smudgy, dirty, grimy, and they do not tell us who we really are. John Calvin famously likened the scriptures to spectacles. That because of our sin and the hardness of our hearts, even as Christians, we grow dull in understanding. That we don't interpret reality properly and we need the spectacles of the Bible. The Bible acts as spectacles so that we can see what is going on. We can see who God really is. We can see what is going on in the world. We can see ourselves for who we are. Let me ask you this. Because you've received all kinds of messages as to who you are. Some of them might have been extremely painful. They might have happened 40, 50 years ago. And the wound still hurts. Now, I can't tell you that that wound will go away. Because there's some wounds that are so deep that nothing will ever cauterize the wound. But what I want you to do today is begin to take those grimy, dirty, smudgy, false spectacles that are really the bad prescription and begin to crush them and begin to use the spectacles of God's word to see yourself through the lenses of God. You see, God will never lie to you. God will never misinterpret reality for you. He will tell you exactly who you are. He will tell you exactly who He is. He will tell you exactly what you need to do. There will be no miscommunication with Him. So I'm going to ask you an obviously rhetorical question. What is better? To see yourself through false spectacles that you have inherited from all types of people? Who have been inherited spectacles from other people? Handed down prescriptions that wear out and get used up. Some of you use contact lenses. I don't know how you do it, but they get messed up. They get lost. They get lost in people's eyes. Some people say, I've lost my right one. I don't know where it is. Mm, I don't understand that. These can't get dissolved in your head. Or is it better to take God's view of you and begin to see yourself as God sees you. What, what makes more sense? Obviously. And what's beautiful about this passage in 1 Peter here, these first 10 verses of 1 Peter chapter 2 are some of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. They are loaded with dynamite. They will tell you who we are in God's sight. And if we pay attention, they will radically change our view of ourselves, our view of the church, and our view of, of who we are and what we're supposed to be doing in this crazy, crazy world. God has granted us a new identity in Christ. But here's the problem. Many Christians don't understand that identity. Many Christians don't even know they have that new identity. Therefore, we must learn to understand our new identity in Christ. And listen carefully. 
This is our new identity in Christ. In the plural, and it's your new identity in Christ in the singular. We are God's holy priesthood. We are God's holy priesthood. One of the genius movements of the Reformation. When Martin Luther and Ulrich Zwingli and John Calvin broke away from the medieval Catholic Church was the understanding of what's called the universal priesthood of all believers. You're a priest. Every man, woman, and child who is a Christian is a priest to the living God. Not just the guy up front in fancy clothes. See, I grew up Roman Catholic. So you talk to my parish priest when I was a boy, Father Garofalo. He's the priest. You go and you talk to him. He's different than I am. Not really. He was born. He lived. He died. I'm born. I'm living. And someday I'm going to die. We're basically the same. You're all priests. That was one of the genius marks of the Reformation. We need to pound that into our head. Because that's who God says we are. And if God says you're a holy priest, then guess what? You can't argue with him. You can argue with what your parents told you about you if it was wrong and destructive. You can do that. An ex-husband, an ex-wife, an uncle, friend, adversary, a bully at school. You can throw those spectacles out. But it's really stupid to throw out the spectacles that God wants to give you. Because the spectacles that God wants to give you are a perfect prescription. They will allow you to see yourself perfectly clearly. They will tell you exactly who you are in His sight. It doesn't matter what the world thinks of you. Remember, the people that Peter is writing to are under severe persecution. The world was calling them all kinds of names. Some of them were going to die. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks of you in this world. And you children need to really understand that early on because a lot of people are going to tell you a lot of things. They are going to call you a lot of names. Some of them might be true, but most of them won't be. You need to know who you are in Christ so that you can get rid of those nasty contact lenses and spectacles. You're the holy priesthood of God. Verse 1, we're commanded to lay aside a number of sinful practices. Now, we should know that when the Bible gives us any list of sins to get rid of, it's not a complete list. It's not an exhaustive list. They're used as samples to remind us that we've got to get rid of sin, that we have to be killing it. For instance, in this particular list, adultery isn't listed, being a dishonorable parent isn't listed, and being a thief. It's not listed in this passage. None of us would say that it's okay to be a thief. And parents, it's not good to be a dishonorable parent. The fifth commandment says, honor thy father and thy mother. The flip side of it is, parents be honorable. As we look at this sin list, please recall again that these people are in grave danger. The danger is from outside. Now, when we take a look at this particular list. I took the sheet away here. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. These are a particular type of sins that will ruin a group from within. 
If you have a group of Christians who are filled with deceit and hypocrisy and envying each other and evil speaking about each other, what are the odds that they're going to be able to stand strong in the face of persecution from the outside? Not very much. You see, we have to be strong within ourselves or we will not be able to fight our common enemy. And these type of sins, which a lot of them have happened to do with what we say, are incredibly destructive. So we need to lay these things absolutely aside. We need to get rid of them. Paul speaks about these type of things in the strongest of terms in Colossians chapter 3. He says, Therefore, put to death your members, your bodily parts, which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. A very wise man once said, you better be killing sin or it will be killing you. You've got a sin in your life. You have to kill it. It's a mortal enemy. You cannot show it any mercy. Are there any particular bugs that you just really don't like? I have a few that I... Spiders don't really bother me that much. I don't like them. They don't bother me. Some people just freaks them out. I don't like those little centipede thingamajiggers. They crawl around real fast. You gotta get them because they're fast. And once you get them, they dissolve into nothing but dust. I can't stand those things. If you've got a particular vermin or a particular insect that you can't stand to see in your house, what happens when you see one of them? You grab that raid. You grab that fly swatter. You grab a shoe. You grab a magazine. And you turn into a warrior. You chase that thing down. You knock over tables until you get that thing. You don't care if it's a new paint job on the walls. You're going to swap that thing. That's the attitude you have to have with the various sins in your life. When they start to pop up, you need to get up and start stomping them. Or else, they will stomp you. Now, verse 2 begins to talk about the Bible and gives us the basic tool for our Christian growth. Now, I mentioned last week that we need to remove the dust from our Bibles. We need to crack that Bible open. We need to begin to read it. And Peter here calls the milk, the, the word, pure milk. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Now, this is not a call. This is not a call to perpetual immaturity. Milk is very often linked with infancy. The book of Hebrews uses the word milk in terms of infancy in a very scary passage. Hebrews 5 tells us, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full of age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. In the case of the Hebrews, those Christians were babies. They were content to stay as spiritual babies. And the writer is castigating them for being immature. Here, Peter is using it very different. Peter is likening the word to mother's milk. An infant, a baby, has to have that milk to survive. A formula, if you want to be modern. They have to have that formula. They have to have it. Or what happens if you don't feed an infant? Mother's milk or formula. What happens? The child perishes. 
Peter is telling us that that pure milk of the word is something our souls desperately need or we will go hungry and we will perish. And he tells us to desire the pure milk of the word and the result is that we may grow. Do you want to grow as a Christian? You're a member of a holy priesthood. The verses that are coming, the next six verses are loaded with Royal titles for us. Do you want to grow? There's only one way to do it. You've got to crack open that Bible and read it and study it and let it get deep, deep, deep down into because that's the way God has ordained that we can begin to grow. Now, verse 3 is interesting. It looks kind of strange, doesn't it? If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious... You see that word if? Take a look at it. If indeed. It's not posing a hypothetical question here. It's stating a fact. We use the word that way. Let me give you an example. If you've been driving for 10 years, if you've had your driver's license for 10 years, if, you should know to stop at that red light. It's not a hypothetical. You can use the word since. Since you've been driving for 10 years, you should know that you stop at a red light. Or because you've been driving for 10 years, you should know to stop at the red light. What Peter is saying here is, if indeed you have tasted the Lord is gracious, he's saying, because. Because you've tasted the Lord is gracious. Do you realize how gracious God has been to you? Do you realize how gracious God has been to us? Just the fact that we are called Christians that this earth is not our home, that he sent his only begotten son to die for our sins, is an amazing act of grace. We get so tied to this world that we forget how good and gracious he is. And it's easy to get tied to this world. Thank you for your prayers. Some of you knew that I blew out my hip and part of my lower back, just tweaked it this week. My wife will tell you, I am absolutely miserable when I am not feeling good. I am not a good patient. As a matter of fact, no man with the last name Bowen is a very good patient. We're just not very good at being sick. I missed two very fun parties this week. I was angry, and I was really angry because I couldn't even figure out what I had done. I didn't know why my hip was thrown out. All I knew was nothing was making it feel better. It's feeling a little bit better now. But when, we, when I was feeling that way, it wasn't feeling too spiritual. Oh, I did my studies and my prayers. But the thought of somebody calling me up and asking me a deep theological question, I remember praying, God, please, no emergencies today. I'm begging you, no emergencies today. Can't deal with them. Can't even walk. Please help me. And he answered the prayer. Have you tasted that the Lord is gracious? It's easy for us to whine about a hurt hip. Once that hip started to feel better, I started to feel a little paltry about myself, and I realized it was a little hip, man. You know, it hurt, but you hobbled around. At least you got legs that move. A lot of people don't have that. You had clothes. The air conditioning was working. A lot of people go through a lot more than we do. Christians suffering right now as we speak. Christians hungry. Not very far from here, maybe even. Right here in our own country, they may not be suffering harsh persecution, but maybe they don't have the things that we have. 
He's been gracious to us. And we need to remember that we have tasted that grace. Now in verse 4, we begin to see an essential aspect of God's plan of salvation, and that's that we come to Christ. That's it. You don't come to Christ, you don't get saved. Coming to Him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. Peter's life is remarkable when you think about it. This timid man who was afraid of a little servant girl on the night that Christ was betrayed, after the risen Christ shows himself to him, and after the Spirit pours himself down upon him, this guy turns into a fearless warrior. In Acts chapter 4, he is preaching to the Sanhedrin. Now the Sanhedrin is the same court that sentenced Christ to die. The same people who, a little bit more than a month ago, had said, kill him. Take him to Pilate and kill him. Peter's now preaching to him. And he tells them this, there is no salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You must believe on Christ for your salvation. There is no other avenue to heaven. That's it. He is the mediator between God and man. There is only one mediator. He has been what? Chosen by God and precious for that role. Have you trusted Christ with your eternal soul? That is the only question in this life that really genuinely matters. Where you go to school is important, but it's not as important as where you end up after you're dead. It's not. If you gain all the worldly titles and your soul perishes and you're one of those goats at the end of time, it's not going to matter. The beauty of the gospel is it's available. Go to him. Coming to him as a living stone. Now this phrase living stone is kind of weird. Stones aren't alive. I'm not a geologist, but I know stones are dead. They're inanimate. They don't breathe. They don't have any blood. They're inanimate. But Christ is called a living stone. This is interesting language. And what it does is it draws us our attention to Christ's utter uniqueness. There's no such thing in the physical world as a living stone. Some of you are scientists. Have you ever come across one? They don't exist. Stones can't die. Plants can die. Hmm? Roundup will do it. Roundup will kill those things. Human beings can die. Animals can die. Stones can't die. Christ's a living stone. He's utterly unique. It also proves that we must believe in the resurrection. He's not dead. He's alive. Easter is real. Do you believe that? But notice he's rejected by men. They beat him. They humiliated him. They killed him. They assassinated him. And from Jesus and from the Jews and the Roman point of view, this is just a political assassination. But from God's point of view, this was the means of our salvation. It's important for us to remember that the world has rejected our Lord, but God has chosen him and he's precious. And when we look at verse 5, we realize that our new identity in Christ mirrors his identity. He is a living stone, but we also as living stones are being built up 
as a spiritual house. This is a reference to the temple. We're being built up a spiritual house. If Christ is our great high priest, as the book of Hebrews tells us, we are being built up a holy priesthood. Why? To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This verse is unbelievable in its impact. Do you realize that there, the purpose of your life is to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are actually acceptable to God through Jesus Christ? And the reason why they are acceptable to God is because we are acceptable because we are in Christ. You can't appear before God on your own merits. You will get torched. But when you come to him in Christ, you are protected. Listen, every thought, word, and deed that you ever do has the potential to be turned into a spiritual sacrifice that is acceptable to God. Every nice thing that you say that is true to a child, to your grandchildren, or your children, every time you ask forgiveness from someone that you have truly offended, if you do it properly, it is a spiritual sacrifice to God. We don't bring to Him the blood of bulls and goats. That's done away with. We give Him our very lives. Bulls and goats, He's not interested in anymore. He never really was. They were signs. They were types. They were symbols to point us to the the glorified Christ. And now we, after Christ has come and died and been risen and is our great high priest, we have got the privilege of giving him everything we have. Every word. You go to your job tomorrow, it can be transformed into a spiritual activity. Even the most mundane of tasks. You know, we hear children say, I don't like doing this. And our refrain is, guess what? Neither do I. That's why you're going to do it for me. I did it for my dad. Now it's your turn. It's not going to get any easier because you're going to get bigger and stronger and you're going to get to do even more for me. That lawn's not going to get smaller, but you're going to get stronger and you're going to be able to do more and more of it while I sit on the porch and drink lemonade, watching you and making sure you don't miss one single blade of grass, just like my daddy did to me. You're a holy priesthood. What does a priest do? A priest intercedes for people. Do you pray for your brothers and sisters? Do you pray for me? Do you know how desperately your pastor, any pastor needs the prayers of his people to prepare sermons? To do it right? Do you pray for you? I know you pray for your children. Do you pray for your husbands, your wives? Do you pray for your enemies? Hmm. Love your enemies. No, that's a rough one. I can pray for people I like. I no problems with that. Praying for your enemies. A holy priesthood. That's what Christ did. We were enemies to God. The book of Ephesians tells us that we were enemies to God. By nature, Ephesians tells us, children of wrath. But he interceded for us as a priest. We now have the honor of interceding for others as a priest. Hmm, that's, that's a wonderful thing. Is this a new set of spectacles for you? You're not a loser. 
You're not worthless. You're not dumb. You're not silly. You're none of those things. In God's eyes, He's building you up, us, into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. Listen to me. You are Christian royalty. You're Christian royalty. Act like it. Pray like it. Speak like it. And may God be with us as we fulfill his purpose for us in this broken world that desperately needs us to bring it the message of reconciliation. Because the people around you, they're busted up inside. They are busted up. And only we have the bomb, the medicine that can heal them. All those people in your life that aren't Christians, they get under your nerves as soon as you see their number come up on your speed dial. They need the medicine that God has given to you. And God's given you the ability to give it to them, to prescribe to them the eyeglasses that they need to see Him properly. Will you do it? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we are priests and we acknowledge that we have stumbled in that role. Please help us to remember our new identity in Christ, that we are your holy priesthood and the amazing grace that goes with that. In Christ's name, amen.